0: Hi everyone and welcome to season four of the podcast. I'm super excited to be back and to announce that the podcast will now be called the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast to better reflect the subject matter. The first few episodes were recorded before the rebranding so I still refer to it by its old raw fork name in those. Anyway, I had no idea when I started this podcast that it would evolve to this format but i did know that i wanted to share people's stories it has evolved from me reading my blog post out loud to interviewing non-traditional pharmacists including herbalists season four will air every friday highlighting inspirational pharmacists that chose to fit out of the proverbial box and are working to build a new system of care focusing on natural and preventative medicine please enjoy the show Hey, Holistic Pharmacy listeners. I hope you've been enjoying this season so far. If you would like to appear on the show or would like to nominate an inspirational pharmacist, please email me at marina at rawfork.com or drop me a line on Instagram at rawfork. You can also find me on my website, drmarinabooksov.com. This week, I met with a wonderful fellow pharmacist who is serving her community by educating and helping set up a strong foundation for health. Dr. Phyllis Kamau is a pharmacist, entrepreneur, consultant, and patient advocate. She holds
1: both a bachelor's in biology and a doctor of pharmacy degrees. In addition to working as a community pharmacist, she provides personalized diabetes coaching for type 2 adults. While focus is on adults, she believes in teaching children as well so they can have successful foundations in managing and potentially reversing diabetes. Dr. Kamau knows there is no single approach that works for everyone, so she continues to educate herself in functional medicine and emerging therapies to provide the most comprehensive program that works for each of her clients' individual needs. She teaches and creates awareness about diabetes and is the founder and CEO of Phil Enterprises, LLC. Dr. Kamau practices in Houston where she lives with her husband and three kids. She enjoys cooking, traveling, and creating memories with her family. So without further ado, let's welcome her to the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy podcast. I have with me today, Dr. Phyllis Kamau and she is a pharmacist and a diabetes educator. So welcome to the show, Phyllis. Thank you very much, Dr. Marina, it's great to be here. Yes, it's my pleasure. So why don't we start by introducing yourself and telling us how and where you grew up and how you came to be a pharmacist. Okay, sure. So my name is Dr.
2: Phyllis Kamau, as um, it's already been mentioned, and I grew up, born and raised in Kenya. So that's where I did uh, my schooling from um, kindergarten all the way to high school. And then I moved to the United States after high school to pursue my education. Now, when I was moving to the U.S., at the time, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um but just uh, I have I had a friend who was um who was uh, going to school as a for pharmacy school and and she told me just you know come on, let's let's do this together. And then um just growing up, I knew I wanted to do something in the medical industry or medical field. I just didn't know what um, I know I knew I did not like nursing. Um, I, I just, the, just the sight of blood just, you know, that scared me. And I just didn't yeah. not like nursing. <laughs> but um, I also had, uh, my my dad was a veterinary doctor, and, and I liked that. But I'm not a huge fan of animals. So I knew I, I did not want to pursue it in that <laughs> perspective but I didn't know exactly what but when I moved here that's when she told me about it and I, I looked I researched about it a little more and then actually got a job as a pharmacy technician just to kind of get the feel of the field and um and I liked it when I started working there I, I liked it so that's how I,
1: I got into pharmacy. Yeah so tell us a little bit more about that so that's fascinating so you um, moved when you were about eighteen to the states. Was it with your family or by yourself? No, this was a complete
2: solo move. It was wow. just me. My oldest brother at the time was here in the United States, so I kind of followed him. But my parents were still back home. But so it was just me and my brother. Yeah, that's- so very, very different uh, culture shock, and and I mean the whole. <laughs> Just a very like it's it's like a baby now. You have to start from the beginning, uh-huh. everything from the language. Even though it was even though it was English, the English that in the United States is spoken is different from what I was used to. Uh-huh. So, from the language, the culture, everything, the drive, even the driving, we drive on the <laughs> <laughs> side of the road. So it was just a completely new beginning.
1: Yeah, I can relate, but. I moved here with my family when I was nine, so definitely it's different when you, when you have family with you, and then we also had some uh, relatives here that were able to help us out, but if you're just on your own, it could be quite scary, and yeah. definitely about the culture shock, so you knew English uh, from your schooling growing up, correct? Good. Uh, And so where did you move? And then, you know, how did you settle in and how were you able to transition from the technician position into a full-fledged pharmacist?
2: Okay. So when I moved here, I moved to Alabama. That's where my brother was. So I moved there as well and did my schooling um, in Alabama, both my undergrad and the pharmacy degree. I did all that in Alabama. And um, so just... um, just having him there helped me to settle in. Um, so that helped me to get adapted to how life in the U.S. is. Um, so that helped me. Just I think having him there was definitely a big plus. I, I think if, it was, if I was by myself, I, that would have been completely different than what how it turned out to be so went to school there uh, did the went to school did the pharmacy um did did the undergrad in uh biology and then um while i was still working um and especially as a as a foreign student you had to you had to go to school full time you had to work because again i came it was just me and my brother he was in school himself so he couldn't support me so i had to work to support myself pay for tuition and it was full time so <laughs> Very difficult, but it just had to do it because I moved here to pursue the education. So, um, so I worked as a technician, and then I also had a little other side jobs that I was doing just to be able to support myself. And then, um, so I did that. Then I went into pharmacy school, and also I continued working, though. I continued working as I moved, promoted from technician to intern, and then also now from intern to a graduate intern, and then now as a pharmacist. Wow.
1: So can you tell us a little bit more about the process of applying for a student visa, I assume, and then coming here, but basically all of that costs money. So all of that is out of your own pocket. You don't, I don't know if you qualify for scholarships or not. And then you have to basically, like you said, pay for your own tuition. Did you need to take any loans or anything like that? for the pharmacy school yes for that one i had to um,
2: it was it was a lot and so I went to um a, a a private university so it was the cost was a little more and um so i had to take loans for that but um so getting a student visa um back home so when i when i applied you know back then when i came you had to move to the us you couldn't just move to the U.S. and say you were coming to pursue a degree in business, so just something along those lines. It, it had to be something that there's a real big need for it. So I came as a computer science major, but I have no interest <laughs> in, <laughs> in technology. That's not my that's not my forte. So. Um, so when I moved here, I but I did actually, I, I did the classes for uh, computer science for the associate, but I had a semester away left to graduate with the associate's degree. And I realized I could not do this because they we started doing like the programming classes. And that's when I realized this is definitely not for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but that, but so coming here, yeah. Uh, got the visa, um, applied to, got here, and then I'll start applying to school. Now, as a um, foreign student, you do get some scholarships, not a lot, Um, you do get some scholarships. And and then also, you could also get the loans um, as as an immigrant student. And so that's what I did to be able to pursue the education.
1: Yeah, but that's quite a risk, right? You're you know going to an unfamiliar land. You barely have any family to support you or anybody that you know, mm-hmm. and you are pursuing this huge, de- you know, career with a huge degree that requires some loans. Mm-hmm. So that's taking you know, a lot of courage to just go go for it and you know just just believe in yourself. It
2: does. It does. <laughs>
1: So what do you remember, like, when you think back on those times? I'm sure there were some hardships involved. So, you know, how did you have that courage and the strength to just continue on?
2: I think the biggest thing that used to um, push me was the fact that um, I did not want to just move back home, go back home because I couldn't make it so i had to find the strength in me to actually to really make it and then as you went um is in the in the community then you know you get to know other people who are in the same same situations where uh, they're also you know going to school they have to work to be able to afford the tuition so we were all just set like a support group for each other so we encourage each other and just and just kept fighting
1: <laughs> that's Beautiful, because even if you don't have blood relatives around, finding people in similar situations can be super helpful as a support group. Oh, yes. Yes, it did for me. (laughs) That's wonderful. So how did you uh, find that pharmacy tech job in the beginning? Was it through a chain pharmacy? Was it an independent setting? And then how did you um, transition? Like you were saying, you were moving to be an intern and then the pharmacist. Did you stay with the same uh, setting, or did you change after you graduated?
2: I actually stayed with the same um, same setting. I, I didn't change it. Um, and this was through, so again, I found the job through um, when my friend told me about it. And um, and she told me, yeah, there's actually a store that's, that's looking for technicians, so why don't you go apply? And so I did, and I did. I applied, I went for the interview, and, and I got it. Um, and then, um, so that's why, again, I had to really, because especially, you know, working in a retail setting as an immigrant, um, and if, for me especially, the, the, the culture difference was where, like the language, like in the US, people talk really, really fast. Um, where I'm from, we just, <laughs> we're slow paced. So you kind of, ha- you have the time to actually understand what the person is saying, but this was just a marathon. Like I had to really like really, closely listening and and just try to understand what they may be asking. So but I had very good um, my my pharmacists the the mentors they were very good and, and they they helped me a lot. So I was able to shift and and understand and actually finally now really integrate and get to know to understand the pharmacy and get to work with the patients. And that's how I was able to transition from being a technician and now to an intern.
1: And then all the way to the pharmacist. awesome so what did you do so you said after you graduated you stayed with the company Mm -hmm. and so what made you become a diabetes educator and how did that passion come about and then did you have any other settings that you worked in maybe when you were an intern or anything like that Um, tell us a little bit more about your career
2: Yes, I did. So in uh, pharmacy school, so during our final year, we had the different rotations that we went to. And uh, so I did go to um, a couple of specialties, um, which were, um, one was a compounding specialty, and I love that one. I love the compounding uh, specialty pharmacy. And then we had one that had to do with home care health. And then I, worked, I, I did internship in the hospital and then also a different retail. I did did an internship with a different retail and also with the management, um, pharmacy management, I did a retail, um, uh, an internship with that. Um, But out of all that, I I realized I loved uh, talking with patients and I loved, especially when you, when we would do the the internship, and you know, the pharmacist would tell us, "Okay, you're the intern, so God, you know, cancel the patient, talk to them." Mm-hmm. So I love that part where I would talk to them, and you know, when you're telling them something, and like you see their eyes pop, like they actually like they get it. So I like that. And during the pharmacy school, I, I love the subject of diabetes. When we had pharmacotherapy and we did diabetes, I loved it, and that's how I I got that interest of wanting to know how I can use that education as, as a pharmacist and actually teach the patients because I I, I so I love that part of teaching them and, and that's what I've done where I, I now teach the patients, you know, things that they may not necessarily get the information when they go maybe to either pick up their medications or at the doctor's office. They may not have that one-on-one someone sitting down with them and explaining to them about diabetes, about the condition and, and what to do. So I loved, I just love that. And that's why I, I specialize and I, I teach the patients to where they can understand how they can. And I empower them so they can be the champions for their health. That way they can know what to do, what not to do.
1: Well, yeah, I could totally see the passion as you're speaking about it. That's amazing. So is it because diabetes you saw was pretty prevalent? And is that part of the reason that you're passionate about it? And then do you have any personal or family story about why you're interested in medicine in general? Besides, I know you mentioned your dad is a veterinarian. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Um, so I have the... Um... A personal experience where uh, my mom is diabetic and so i've seen i've seen the challenge i've seen the struggles so i understand you know when patients may just get home and now they don't know they don't know what to do so i understand completely how they feel i understand the emotional aspect of it Mm -hmm. and that's why i i just got involved and, and just wanted to know more and how i can help them And um, so that's how, that's how it's, it's, it's pushed me to, to know how to help them and what to do with them.
1: Yeah, definitely. So did you, I know we get a lot of training in pharmacy school, like mentioning pharmacotherapy and non-pharmacological therapy and approaches. So what do you focus on in your counseling and did you get any additional trainings in diabetes? Yes.
2: So what I focus on mainly is the lifestyle changes. That's why I feel, because like I would tell my patients, you know, diabetes, it has to do with lifestyle and genes. Now we can change the genes, but we can definitely do a lot with the lifestyle changes. So that's what I really focus on. So the diet, uh, we talk a lot about the food, the food selection, the choices, and then the exercise part. Because the two go hand in hand, so that's where I really focus on and, and tell them, you know, diabetes. It, it can be it can be managed, but we have to really change the lifestyle. We have to change the exercises and, and the food. And um, I'm pursuing my uh, certification in um, diabetes education. And I'm also um and, and also just uh I also love um because from where. I'm, from um, in Kenya, I can see a lot of people who are struggling with the diabetes. And so that's why I, I want to just make sure that, you know, like create awareness that diabetes is it's preventable. Just make them aware what they can do to be able to reverse or, or manage the diabetes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a huge role, like you were saying, with epigenetics. So. <laughs> just because we have a certain predisposition or gene doesn't mean that we can't manage turning it on or off. That is all under our power and our control. So we can make different choices, which will change the outcome of our genetics. Yes, definitely. (laughs) So what do you see as like the biggest challenges or the biggest factors that lead to people having diabetes?
2: Most of them is the lack of knowledge. I think it's the lack of knowledge of what kinds of food to eat, or even the potions. Um, so the lack of knowledge, I think that's the biggest challenge. And so I feel like um, if if as, as, as healthcare providers is, if, if we just take the time to let the patients know, I mean I know pharmacists we deal with the medications but we also have that aspect where we can do more than just the medication. So education I, I feel it's a really big role that we can do And so once we teach people and, and empower them with the knowledge they I, I know they can I know they can do it. <laughs> they just need that encouragement and, and empowerment.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, the big piece is education, but also the support Mm -hmm. uh, and guidance, just um, an accountability partner or somebody that is supporting their choices and helping them rather than, uh, you know, maybe not understanding them or even like some people when they when they see other people are making choices, different choices than them, it might feel uncomfortable. So like we were saying before with the support group in your school, it's also important to have a support group at home for the person who is going to change their diet or lifestyle. They really need that support system that everybody around them is either doing it with them or at least encouraging and supporting them.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I love working with families because I know if they can all support each other and encourage each other, like you said, as accountability partners. So I, I love working with families.
1: <laughs> so how do you incorporate this education piece into your counseling? Are you still in a retail setting doing these services or is this something private?
2: Yes. So I'm still in my retail setting, but the education part, I'm doing that as a private Mm-hmm. Uh, consultation
1: mm-hmm. awesome so how do you tell us a little bit about that like how do you run your business how do your consultations look is it in a group setting or one-on-one
2: right now it is one-on-one um but hopefully in future i might change it to a group setting just to give more support um so right now it's just one-on-one so oh. we would do um we would do the um the education we do at least a three month. Uh, we did a three month session together mm-hmm. because again, we as human beings, it takes time for us to actually change yeah. and adapt to new routines or way of doing things. So we do a three month session.
1: Awesome! And how often do they see you in these three months?
2: We we do get to talk at least once a week.
1: That's yes. really good. That's a lot of time. So what do you see people as they go through your program for three months? What do you see them going through? What are the first steps that you take them through? And then what are the outcomes? Okay.
2: So the, so the first step we do, um, we try to do in the beginning, especially is the food um, and just go slowly incorporating, incorporating the different changes. That way we can, by the end of the three months, they've actually, then they do know what what can they do and what can they not do? And then besides the food, we also do the, um, the, ex- the lifestyle, the exercises, because that way they can also know. Because sometimes, you know, when people hear exercise, you know, to them it's like, oh, just go like a marathon or do like very intense. That's, I, f- I feel that's how people associate exercise with, with very intense working out. And, and it's not, it's just, we have to start somewhere. So I, I do encourage at least start by just walking. Even if you can do like, you know, maybe like 30 minutes start with maybe 15. And as you go, then your body will also get used to it. And then we can go adding more and, and giving longer duration for the exercise.
1: Yeah, I think about like personal trainers when I hear exercise. So yes. Is that what you're coaching them on? <laughs> but absolutely. I think it's all about moving your body. So maybe even just changing the word to movement is right. closer to it because your body is designed to move. <laughs> your body is not designed to sit at desk and stare at one spot. That's very close to you all day long. So yeah. if we don't utilize this movement ability, you know, our skeletal muscle and all of all of our systems, mm-hmm. our our, system, yeah, our other systems depend on it. Like our lymph system needs our body to move yeah. to get the lymph back up and even our circulation. So yes. if, we don't, <laughs> if we don't do that, no pill can help us. No, no, no. Nah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so I think yes. it was like very almost naive for us to think that we can solve every problem with a pill or a surgery. Yep. You know, we there are some basic fundamental things that the human body is just designed to do and, you know, right. we the fresh air and the sun and yes. Uh, outside yes. It, yes. Like, yes.
2: Yeah, would do wonders. I mean, even myself, I just go outside, at least just to get that fresh air. And I just feel you can feel the
1: difference. <laughs> yeah, like working in a pharmacy and like being very <laughs> far away from the outside world is not fun. Or even, you know, we don't really have windows in our pharmacy, right? right. Like the windows are on the other side and we're in the whole back room. We- Um, or like working in an office, sometimes you're not next to a window most of the time, actually. So, you know, it's, it's very important to be in connection, not only with other people, but also the elements around us. Yes. Yes.
2: And especially right now with COVID, where a lot of people are working from home. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely recommended to get out. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And out, you know, being outside, you're not confined to a space where there's could be bacteria and viruses brewing. So definitely recommended to air out your space and to air yourself out. Oh, yes, (laughs) completely. Yeah. So can you just tell us the top like three tips that you share with your clients and how they should be eating? You know, what kind of foods should they be eating? And then what should they not be eating? Okay.
2: So um, I do encourage them um, to, and I keep in, I keep saying it, it's just to reverse the plating. And by that, I mean, um, when I was growing up, you know, we used to, when it's time for plating of putting our foods, uh, food on our plate, like we would start with big portions of the carbohydrates, and then we'll go to vegetables and then to some kind of meat. And so what I tell them is to reverse the plating, is just change how you plate. So Start with the vegetables. Uh-huh. Start with the vegetables and then do the meats and then go do the carbohydrates. Because by the time you get to the carbohydrates, you're only going to put just a little bit, just maybe a quarter. But if you start with that, that's what you're going to put. Half of your plate is going to be carbohydrates, which is how, that's what we did when we were yeah. growing up. <laughs> so we, we do things like where we just reverse the plating, where you change, yeah, start with the, start with the vegetables, go to the meats and then do the, the carbohydrates. And then also also increase like the number of fruits and vegetables a day, the raw fruits and vegetables. Um, And then also increasing the amount of like whole grains, just do whole grains instead of the ultra processed foods. Um, Because of course that's where our gut is not made to process those ultra processed foods. So they end up not being beneficial to us, they end up just being more harmful than they should be helping us so those are some of the things I encourage my patients to just change change the way you think about you know putting food on your plate and then staying hydrated (laughs) avoiding high fat foods and sugars
1: (laughs) yeah that's excellent advice Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) yeah so it's it's more of a mindset thing um And so and I I know once once they get it, they actually now do know, yeah, I can do this because I just need to change how I'm doing things.
1: Yeah, but I I agree about it being a mindset thing, because like we were saying before, if you feel like you don't fit in with the rest of how your family or your friends are eating and, you know, you have this disease state that you now have to manage. So you can't look at what they're eating. You have to decide for yourself, you know, what's good for your body. But it's difficult to do that because you're surrounded by people that are eating the way you used to eat. It's easy to kind of fall back into that same pattern.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, mindset. Yeah, you know, it's, it takes a lot. Um, I, I just remembered, like, I wanted to, um, like, when I when I moved here, like I said, you know, this was a completely different culture for me. And so that just made me feel like, like I wanted just to dim my light where I just, you know, I didn't even want to, I, I felt like, I felt I, I couldn't speak up. I was afraid to even speak up and, and share whatever I had to share. And I knew, I know what I had to share, of course, is important, but I felt, I felt sort of rejected um, and and just afraid to speak up. And so I had to change my, I really had to change my mindset by, you know, just like creating my boundaries and and speaking up so that way I can advocate for myself. And that's why I encourage, you know, my patients, you know, you you have, we have to change the mindset because that way you can be able to advocate like for yourself. Like you said, you know, if you have family who are not totally,
1: you know, supporting you,
2: (laughs) you have to decide. So which one do I, which way do I go?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you have to become your own biggest supporter. You know, you have to find the strength Mm -hmm. within yourself so that you can, like you said, establish the boundaries of what you're going to accept into your field, Uh what you're not going to accept. So, you know, just like being really tough and knowing that you're doing the right thing for you Mm -hmm. and whatever somebody else thinks doesn't matter because you're, you're, you're doing it for your own benefit. Correct, correct. <laughs> so yeah, so
2: I aim just so they can understand that you
1: know, <laughs> like yeah. you're the only
2: one who can you know
1: take charge of that. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of times that is why we fail at things and we feel defeated when we feel like we don't have a choice. You know, when this is just you know our genetics, like we were talking before, before and uh, you know it's a curse that this, this happened to us and we're powerless to change it. But if you think about how many things you do have power over and all those things and focus on what you can control, that right. becomes, you know, a lot easier to live like that and a lot more empowering so that you can actually stick to those choices and not have the doubts, you know, or have the self-sabotage even to like regress back into mm-hmm. your old ways. It mm-hmm. is. Yes. yeah I think that's so key in in many different areas of life
2: oh yeah I think you can apply everywhere
1: (laughs) every aspect of life yeah business or even working for someone else or Mm -hmm. your life purpose or family like it applies in any case relationships does yes (laughs) so Yeah. yeah I really like the idea of focusing on vegetables and focusing You know, and what they can have Mm -hmm. instead of limiting the, oh, okay, don't have this and this and this, but actually, this is what you should be having. You should be putting so much veggies on your plate Mm -hmm. that you're feeling full from the veggies and you don't want (laughs) to eat more. (laughs) And uh, do you find any challenges, like with the, for example, cost of vegetables in in relationships to some processed foods or access to the vegetables? Um, And then also, how people maybe are going back to their old beliefs or saying that they don't like to eat vegetables or it doesn't taste good for them. How do you deal with those challenges?
2: Yeah, so I do. Um, yeah, occasionally, you know, you have someone that's they're saying that it's cheaper to do the um, processed foods. Um, so it's cheaper right now, but in the long run, it's gonna be more expensive because then it's, it's causing more harm to you than it should. And so I tell them, you know, and, and a lot of people do like that convenience of the package, mm-hmm. the already pre-packaged and mm-hmm. processed foods, but I, I do let them know, just let them know, you know, about just to, again, to teach them about the vegetables. Yeah. It's, you know, you just want to make sure you're incorporating them. And of course, as you get, as you keep doing that, your body will eventually get used to it uh-huh. because you've detoxed the processed foods. So now your body's is, is wants these uh, v- fruits and vegetables, and um, the cost wise, I know like we have. Um, I know like here we have an, a, like an open air market, so I, I encourage people to go there. I do go get the the vegetables and fruits from there myself, and just to buy, um, just to keep you know again just to keep because once you do something so much, it becomes it becomes a routine, and and I encourage them to. I know most people, they have an issue with vegetables. They don't like them, but it's just find uh, different ways maybe to cook it. Just experiment with different ways to cook it and, and find a way that actually works for, your, for you or that you enjoy eating. And, but just keep you know incorporating different ones and, and see which ones work best for you.
1: Yeah, it could be a fun, exciting process to again, have those choices and make it in your own creative way,
0: Mm -hmm. play around
1: in your kitchen with recipes, (laughs) not something like you have to dredge and that you have to be scared because it's not going to taste good. But it's giving you the chance and opportunity to come up with different recipes and, and again, find something that works for you and that you do like. Yes, yes. I
2: do that a lot myself. I just find different recipes and and just play with them and just see which way I I like best.
1: Yeah. I also find that diabetes can be classified as an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. So how do you counsel about that component? For example, like we were mentioning grains Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people maybe won't even tolerate grains, or sometimes I recommend elimination diets. Have you found that helpful? Um,
2: I haven't uh, dealt with maybe, I haven't come across anyone who's can't tolerate like those um, kind of diets, but I just let them know, I just teach them just to do more whole grains versus the um, the processed ones. Um, because they are again, as an autoimmune disease, it's the processed foods are gonna just progress it more than the um, unprocessed ones.
1: Yeah, and you also mentioned detoxification. So these processed foods that we're eating, they are kind of empty nutritionally. So yes. they're not nutritionally dense. They're the opposite. They actually draw away our nutrients for us to be able to process them some way okay. and eliminate yeah. them. So they actually deplete, you know, our vitamin and mineral pathways and our liver enzymes so that we need to eat even more cofactors from our foods, which is really from fruit and vegetables. Yes. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, yeah, I think it's a good way to think about it that you actually need for every like processed meal you have, you need to (laughs) have like 10 times more vegetables to process that meal. Yes. Yes. That's a great idea. (laughs) So do you use any supplements or any MTM in your counseling?
2: No, no, um, no supplements. um, Because I know most of them, the cost might be an issue for them. Mm -hmm. So no, no, no supplements. Um, MTM, just like small scale, just to make sure the medications they're taking um, actually for them, um, they're right for them. But not, But I try not to do so much of the medicine part. I, I wanna focus on the other part of the education of the lifestyle changes. But I, from my, as a pharmacist, because I'm a pharmacist background, yeah, I will look at the medications, but I don't try, I don't mess with that too
1: much. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But <laughs> you found that as a side effect of the work that you do together, it, are there benefits such as weight loss or reduction in medication?
2: Yes, yes, that happens. Yeah. So when as we work on the on the on the food and exercise part, yeah, we do get to see where some of the medications they they're discontinued and some of the patients they they lose the weight because they've changed how they're eating. And so and also the stress or and so with that they're not spending as much money on the medications that now they can redirect their
1: money on the healthy foods. Yeah. And also some medications or even most of them for diabetes may be covered by people's insurance plans, Mm -hmm. um, especially those that are available as generics, but still there, it does come with a burden again of having to tax our liver and our kidneys to process and eliminate them. And besides the active ingredient, there could be fillers or binders or colorants. Yes. And you know, they could have some side effects that are not pleasant So I think it's always best to be able to function without the medication. (laughs) Yes, yes.
2: That's always my goal. (laughs) Yes, to get them to where they don't have to depend on their medications.
1: Yeah, that's excellent. So how do people find you and um, even request to work with you?
2: Mm-hmm. So I am on, um, the two main platforms I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn and, uh, Facebook under Dr. Phyllis Kamau.
1: And, uh, do you find that most of them are referrals, like people that you've worked with before, or how do you market your business? Um, so most of them will find
2: me because I do a lot of, um, a lot of, um, information that I share on the two platforms. So that's how they so once they, they read and they see what, I, what I'm doing and what I'm talking about, and that's how they find me. So they would message me from there.
1: Awesome. So you, you educate on your social media platforms, people ask you questions, and then eventually may become a client. Yes. And is it mostly virtual? And do you accept people all over the world? Or is it region specific? It's all over. So it's virtual. Virtual. Awesome. That's excellent. I'm so glad they have you. (laughs) Thank you.
2: I think COVID has taught us, you know, it has come with its bad, but it's also taught us some good things that, you know, we can do things virtually.
1: That's true. Yeah. This is so much more commonplace and even family now talks virtually if they're quarantining or something (laughs) like that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So what's your favorite part about this business? And then what is your future or your mission of your company Mm
2: -hmm. so my favorite is when i get to see the patients succeed that's where i feel my joy comes from seeing them succeed um, because i don't want them to be struggling and diabetes it's 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 a challenging disease it's so a lot of patients do struggle Um, so i like when i see them succeed um and and that gives me so much joy so the future, um, I'm just uh, again creating the big awareness because trying to get these patients to where they don't they don't come to me because now they're diabetic, but trying to get to them before they're even diabetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have um, I'm, it's, I'm I'm working on on creating um an awareness initiative um for the patients uh, for for people especially. Um, especially like school age kids i think we can we can start with them so they have a strong and good foundation when it comes to to food and 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 exercising or body movements so um so
1: creating a movement to just raise that awareness that's so important because kids they pick up more about they pick up more from what is happening actually around them than what we tell them to do. If we, if we lead by example, (laughs) plate the plate, like you said, you know, for ourselves with vegetables, the kids are always looking up at us, but you know, doing it at home is not enough. We really need there to be, you know, in schools, this kind of education and the availability of good foods to be a, There and in our school systems, and for this needs to be almost like on a political level, because (laughs) you know the food guidelines are not changed, and unless the schools are providing these healthier options Mm -hmm. and alternatives, how can we expect any anything different than what we see? We've yeah, we've seen yeah. (laughs) But like we need to address the problem you know the big overarching problem of the lack of education and the lack of resources and maybe even the lack of funds i mean i don't know why schools are providing such essentially yeah. empty Absolutely. food right so so it must be something to do with the funds but probably yeah. also the lack of education where They kind of stayed behind in like the 1950s and (laughs) and give food that is like preserved and packaged and not good right yeah
2: (laughs) yeah and like you said it so well because i have i have three young kids and and so um and no i know i may just keep telling them okay you need to eat your fruits but even you know they of course they're looking at
1: me so if they don't see me eating then they're not going to eat it (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we have to be the role models. And they have to also have their choices in their schools or wherever they go, you know, daycares and throughout school, but especially like you said, the younger they are, the better to introduce them to this and to change their palette. Like what Mm -hmm. we're saying about taste, you know, we really usually end up enjoying the taste that we are used to. And then we start to crave them because our microbiome changes to associate with that food. And what is, you know, you can either grow a healthy microbiome or an unhealthy one. So an unhealthy, unbalanced one will crave usually stuff that's not that nutritious, nutritious at all. (laughs) And, you know, carbohydrates, but what we want is lots of nutrient-rich greens and other vegetables right yes (laughs) so if you keep that um, healthy variety of nutrients available and you consume them you actually will find that you don't crave the other stuff anymore
2: very true Yes, yes. So we definitely have a lot of
1: what to do with the schools. (laughs) Schools, I think, are key, but also prenatal nutrition for young moms moms. Mm -hmm. or new moms. They don't have to be young, I guess. But uh, like this is actually when the person realizes usually that they're responsible not only for themselves, but another life that they're carrying around them. So, of course, even if they didn't realize before, about nutrition, or about health, or didn't really pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the pivotal time when people actually start to really wonder and educate themselves and ask questions and, you know, read books, yes. to make sure that they're doing the best thing for their baby. So, mm-hmm. You know this cycle continues but you know the younger that we started whether it's prenatal or little kids i think that is definitely a good place to target so that the next generation could avoid mm-hmm. or prevent
2: yes. such a mass
1: scale of problems
2: yes yes
1: that's so true <laughs> wow. yeah. mm-hmm. so that's awesome i love your mission and your passion for for this work um mm-hmm. I would love to go into a rapid round fire question with you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. So what is the number one advice you can give to people to improve their quality of life right now?
2: Number one advice, um, get out, <laughs> get some fresh air and, um, and definitely change, um, look at what you're eating. Um, yeah, change, change your diet, change your food eat lots of fruits and vegetables. I know the way
1: we're saying it, it's like so simple. It sounds simple, but it's not easy to implement. It's not easy, but it's doable. Yeah. So I think it's like just wrapping your head around the fact that it's not that complex. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't have to know all the science behind it, but Mm -hmm. just... Doing this simple action of eating mostly vegetables and some fruit and then a little bit of other sources of you know animal or plant protein is right. really what your body <laughs> needs.
2: Yeah. So, and they, and they wouldn't know until they start. So
1: at least start. <laughs> yeah. yeah, So that find out. It's almost like so simple that they don't believe it works, <laughs> <laughs> but but just try it and then see. Try
2: Right.
1: <laughs> try it <laughs> all right my second question for you is what's your favorite hobby
2: favorite hobby oh let's see I love cooking um
1: that's my favorite <laughs> yeah I'm sure and you have three young kids to cook for do they all have a similar taste or do you have to cook different for each person
2: no um they have different tastes but I've I don't cater to like their different tastes. I just make one dish and that's what everybody's gonna eat. The only thing I do is that I make a dish for, if one kid likes this dish or may make that dish that day, but the following day I'll make a different one, but I don't do like different meals for everybody (laughs) now. I want them to get used to, you know, used to eating and especially because I do 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 a lot of fruits and vegetables. So I want them to get used to that.
1: Yeah, me too, me too. But yeah, there's definitely phases I've noticed <laughs> with my child where first he's he likes a particular vegetable, then he doesn't like it, uh-huh. or he likes something and then the next day, or like maybe yes. in a month or two, he switches to something else. But I still keep offering, even when yeah, they do yeah, that. I still keep offering the good stuff. What can you do? Because
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know better. So yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: Um, and I also want to know, what is your favorite dish to make?
2: My favorite dish uh, would have to be, this is something that we make from, uh, from back home. It's a dish that we make um, with, uh, let's see, we do, we do potatoes in it. We do beans, we do um, carrots, we do cabbage. You um, do all of it in that one dish and, um, and then some corn. We do it in that one
1: dish. Yeah, that sounds really good. That's similar, I think, to a dish that we make, too. Mm-hmm. So it's cool how other, you know, heritages and backgrounds, they have similar traditional meals. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and how, um, I know you mentioned that you're passionate also about educating people from your home country in Kenya <laughs> about diabetes, because you saw prevalence of it. So are you doing any work with that?
2: Yes,, uh, with there, um I'm um, partnering with a nonprofit and just doing um
1: doing the awareness campaigns. Wow, that's excellent work. So yeah. good luck with that. So I'd love for you to tell the listeners w- again where they can get in touch with you, what are these two platforms that you mostly hang out in, and um, any other projects that you're working on?
2: Okay. So I'm on uh, both Facebook and platform, and uh, Dr. Phyllis Kamau. You find me on both of them uh, under that one. Um, Eventually, I may have other platforms, but right now, that's those are the main ones. Um, So my my big project is just creating awareness. Um, Diabetes it's it's not a death sentence, um, but we can we can manage it. And and there's lots to do with diabetes. So that's my biggest uh, my biggest project mission just uh get people to know that uh, we can we can do this
1: yeah there is definitely lots to do you're right about that the work is cut out and we we can do it if we do it together yes absolutely <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your mission and your projects with us um i wish you the best of luck definitely keep us posted on the nonprofit stuff too i think it's so wonderful to give back and uh, I hope to see you again in the near future. Absolutely. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. All right. My pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you. You
0: as well. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Holistic Pharmacy podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the show and learned something new from it. I certainly get super inspired by the guests I have on If the same is true for you, I'd really appreciate a five-star review on any of the podcast platforms and a shout out on social media. You can find me at my name, Dr. Marina Booksov, or at the tag at Raw Fork. So I look forward to connecting and I hope you have a great week ahead.